Hey, this is Romancing the Zone, a podcast about a podcast about boys playing tabletop games. I'm Nell Bailey. I'm Brittany Bailey. And I'm Ann Kern. Let's roll. Oh, 18. Nice. Hey. So, here we are at the end of Amnesty. I can't believe it's the end. My heart breaks. I know. It feels like we just got here. Yeah, and I mm-hmm. like Griffin said that he that you know we'd put it off long enough, and I'm like, ah, oh, no, no, you didn't. We could have gone longer Griffin, than that. Griffin, right? Griffin, shut your beautiful face. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I know it's so it's so crazy that it's the end and the beginning, possibly like because we're in such a liminal right. space right now where we don't know what's going right. to happen next. So like it could be this one and we might see everybody again. And how great is that? And my big big hope is no matter what happens with season two, these little arcs aren't forgotten. Because they've been great. Yeah. And I can only assume the next one's going to be super... Oh, my God. Like, let's not even oh, okay. get talking right. to that. So let's before... I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> we, we can touch on that on the end. Okay. Because I think we have to at least dip into it a little yeah. bit. But for now, right. we know this is kind of our end game. But, like, a little end game. I'll say, it's like a mid-season finale. Right. It's like, we're about to face down this big bad... But it's not the biggest bad. <laughs> it's a little bad. Just a little one. Oh, gosh. Yeah, so we're getting ready. First of all, I want to give major props to Clint for being on yeah. his own for the first time. Yeah. He, he did great. He had all he's, the right dice since there's only two now. And he sounded fine. So He did great. He left the nest. The recording nest. <laughs> he did it. He flew away to his own house. Just kicked him out. <laughs> but good job Clint yeah way to go internet father you did great and then moving on to that I feel like he really found his footing with Ned Yeah. Mm -hmm. even like the way he handles the car the fact that he's singing show tunes (laughs) or like listening to them and then he's singing them even though it's so goofy, I still see it. Like, it still totally right. tracks. I think it's a, it, it still it's a feels... believable, well-rounded scene that, you know, he's yeah. super scared about waiting in this car in this Wookiee suit for yes. this monster. But he's also <laughs> singing show tunes. And when it comes mm-hmm. down to it, when, when things pop off, he's, you know, he's he's in gear with this car being being a badass, pretty much. Oh, my God. That is and... not the car I would want to outrun a monster in, especially with, like, oh, precision yeah, maneuvering, sure I gotta not. say. That's like, that's like steering a boat. But he does it well. Certainly. And again, all the car action, I was just like, I'm living for this. Ned, you might have to be my favorite <laughs> when it comes to this arc, just because. In my notes, I have sick driving moves. Nell loves it. I love it. You're totally <laughs> right. I do. So he's doing oh. great car stunts, luring this abomination to the cave and the way Griffin described the monster chasing the car this beast <gasps> this abomination right chasing the car scary. horrifying I, this yeah. is horrifying I chills right now every horror <laughs> right? movie like it's my greatest there's two things that scare the ever-loving shit out of me there's more than two tell but us right now <laughs> It's the whole like something's chasing you. You look behind you, then they're gone. Because where it's are they? Not there. Like they didn't stop. They're somewhere else. Like so scary. The other Ooh. one, and Nell, you know this. It's a face like in a door crack yeah, or in a window. The worst. Or a face where you're not really expecting a face to be. Like yeah, those end me. I I can't. And they she, happen in yeah, real life sometimes, real and I scream, and then my boss makes fun of me for the next 12 years, and that's just how it goes. <laughs> Wait, well, and sometimes it's your sweet baby brother uh, lurking in a closet, so you look up, and it's, it's Sometimes it's that. Sometimes it's your sister <laughs> in a pantry, because like, my family's an <laughs> asshole. Listen, the Baileys, we, we know what we're about. <laughs> well, and it reminded me of... You know, this act of the, the, the abomination being behind the car and then suddenly being next to, like, oh. alongside the car and running with it reminded me of stories of skinwalkers. Mm. And I knew that that wasn't what the abomination mm. was, but it, it felt like maybe he, he was drawing on that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that was what it made me think of. Mm-hmm. Oh, so scary. But then we get this really cool... Um, the cool flashback, yeah. which I love the way Griffin treated this, these these moments between each of the characters. 
Right. That narrative uh, storytelling is so good. Like, it's just... I so don't, good. I don't know. Obviously, I, he's, he's very skilled in this. He's mm-hmm. done it for a little while. Yeah, and Clint picked it up, the, this thread, really quickly of there's this flashback to... Um, you know, yeah. this parallel circumstance where the car does crash and he was not driving yeah. and his mysterious, still mysterious partner in crime mm-hmm. is behind the wheel of this crashed car. And, you know, I, I like that he he does go to try. So the first the first priority is I am going to try and help this person. But when I find out that I Wait. can't, I'm going to grab the, the Hummel figurines out of the trunk and run before the cops <laughs> get here. Now, off the top of my head, I Which, don't know what those are. Did you guys know what Hummel figurines were? No. Yes. Well, go ahead and you guys explain and, it to me. I was going to say, and you do though, don't oh, you? Oh boy, I do. I have to do it. Yeah, and yeah. I, was, I had to look them up. There was a really wow. Yeah. Okay, well, there was a Hummel figurine museum in in Rosemont, Illinois, where <laughs> it, in the convention yeah, center uh-huh. in Rosemont, where I went to conventions for many many years. Uh, okay. Um, I did not ever go to the museum, but there was a big ad and like all these. So they're like they're they're German. They're little porcelain. They're kind of like precious moments, but they're like the high class version version of precious moments figurines. They're like sort of little little mm-hmm. children and sometimes adults, and are they're just collectible okay. figurines. They're kind of hard. To, I don't really understand the point, but you know, I collect toys, so I can't talk. Our aunt, uh, Brittany, and my aunt collect collects collected precious moments i I, Um, I think past tense yeah i don't think she's right i don't think she does building her collection but i don't are they even displayed anymore i don't think you still want them now that was your big no i don't but she still thinks i do when i was like seven (laughs) i fucking loved those things and she was like when i die you can have them and of course as a kid you're just like yay i love these and i think I still she'll like die. mention them and how like i'm gonna inherit all of them and i'm just like oh i don't want those anymore <laughs> but like you can't say that to your aunt hopefully she doesn't listen to this podcast i'm good oh, i collect boy. transformers now wait you know what if she, if i inherit them i'm just gonna pose them around my transformers like that's just go. what's gonna happen have the transformers <laughs> mimic their poses or you, you can sell some to ned and he can Ned can I, have I hope there's like one the... supposedly haunted Hummel figurine in the Cryptonomica even now. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, and maybe like oh, he doesn't know nice. which one, but he knows it's one of them. <laughs> I'll take you ten because one of you. I love this idea, Griffin. Oh. Anyway, back on track. He <sighs> remind me. Did we know? Like, obviously, his name is Ned Chicane. Did we know that he was kind of a thief before yeah, this? Well, we knew he was shady. I don't think we knew what his dark past well, we, was. But right. We knew he had one, and I think that okay. was a pretty safe bet. <laughs> Fair. Like, it makes sense. Yeah, selling oddities. Right. I just couldn't remember if that had been explicitly stated. But now, yeah, we see for sure he was like actual crime here. Like they were stealing mm-hmm. something. I I do like that it was made very clear there wasn't robbery like he wasn't in it to physically hurt yeah. anybody like it's still a crime right. <laughs> to steal but you're like well i mean ned can still be my boy because he didn't mm-hmm. hurt anybody <laughs> although it does it does <laughs> raise this question of things. did did this person who supposedly gave him the cryptonomica actually give him the cryptonomica Ooh. or was were they in fact just in prison and he took mama. it Mmm, good call. Right, because, like, we didn't get any information on this, this, like, yeah. cohort of his. It was just a little taste. So a little knows? taste of this, this past uh-huh. that he has. So, there you go. There's one, there's another big thing that we're like, someday, if we come back, we're going to get answers here. But for now, it's left very vague and very mysterious as we cut back to... Yeah, I mean, th- this time, this time he's, he's running into well he's being chased by danger i guess <laughs> but he's yeah. running he's running towards the danger rather than away yeah character development yeah i love it <laughs> well we cut to aubrey who's so fucking cute oh my god she's adorable she gets cuter <laughs> every episode <laughs> she does yeah and it's all like it is the way travis plays her mm-hmm. and like changes his voice and does things <laughs> that are so real and human and things that we've done as kids like I don't know if you guys did this as a kid but like you're hiding and you're like oh wait that's a better spot right. run to the other spot like it's I so clear because we all did this 
And you're just like, oh, Aubrey. Yeah, it speaks to how young she is and how kind of like mm-hmm. opportunist she is, but not in a bad way. Just kind of like, yeah. oh, yeah, that one's better. I'm going to move. And, and very, it's very right, rabbit-like, right. just bouncing from Yeah, from oh, that's a good call. Yeah. I love that. Right, because she's, she and Duck are waiting in the cave, and we start with her, and then with her flashback, it doesn't go as far as Ned's. And we just kind of flash back on her and Barclay setting up the cave. And I really liked this moment because it gave us kind of a moment with her and with Barclay. And before mm-hmm. we get into their actual, like, kind of character development that we kind of get here, I do want to just say uh, them putting oil all over the ground reminded me of the scene from the office where they are trying to move stacks of paper and they can't use the um, the forklift for whatever reason. So they're trying, they like make an oil slick across the warehouse floor and they're like sliding stacks of paper across and they call it Senior Lodenstein and it's so stupid and it's so funny, which of course perfectly matches the tone of this show as well. So that's what it made me think of. But anyway, we can talk about real character development now. This is, this is an interesting design choice for a death trap. I mean, I don't know what I would do in their position, yeah. but uh, you know, maybe if they'd had a little bit more time. It, it does it does seem like it might end badly for them, even at this point. And Griffin does seem to be sort of warning them, like, it, okay, but also, you're in a cave with this. Right, um, and I appreciate Griffin taking the time to kind of advise some mindfulness here. But then I respect what Trev ended up coming up with. Yeah. Because it was on the spot. Like, it was. it's hard to say exactly what you're going to do. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Without being able to, like, think about it for a while. Right. I always do try to think and see what what would Brittany Bailey do mm-hmm. in this session? Like what yeah. if I were given 15 seconds to come up with a plan to kill a monster, would I? I would prob I I I I don't know. We'll see yeah. when that happens. <laughs> Cut to when we play our own game in the future. Oh, I'm talking about like in real life. Oh, <laughs> in reality. When you are faced against your own abomination. Yes. When the wall comes down yeah. and the White Walkers are on their way, yeah. do I know how what to do What do you do? Them? I hope so. I don't know. Give me 15 seconds and I'll come up with a plan. I think so. I think I'll be good. But it does it does kind of tie in fairly well that this plan is maybe a, a little off the hinges that, that <laughs> yeah. Barkley gives gives Aubrey this speech about if you if you can't sort of temper your power yeah. um, that that it can turn against you or against other people which right. is which is another layer mm-hmm. of, of the danger of of this new thing that she's discovered um, that it could go really wrong for everybody mm-hmm. and that saying is so good the wild winds don't turn the mill mm. yeah like yeah. it's such a good saying because it's, it's true really and mm-hmm. I wrote that down and highlighted it because I was like I want to cross-stitch that like Ooh, that's so great extra nerd not only are you taking notes you're also highlighting your own notes <laughs> but it's it's a great line and we get so much good development here even in this like very brief moment because we're learning now that like there's something intrinsically just different and special about Aubrey and her powers here which we've kind of known but now hearing it from somebody from Sylvain who then says he has personal experience here. And my thought was, do you think Barclay's... Because he says, like, all it takes is one misstep and you can, like, mm-hmm. fuck up big time. Mm-hmm. And I wondered, like, is that why he's not in Sylvain anymore? Ooh. Yeah, there's obviously some reason that these folks are, are over mm-hmm. are over in our world. Something, mm-hmm. Some stuff went down that we don't know about. Another, another thing that right. I guess we will not find out where it will uh-huh. be. Maybe someday. I'm going to make a wish list at the end of this. Things I hope to find out. Dear Griffin, me again. Just a few questions. <laughs> but whether whether or not, you know, she's not used to using these powers, when we, when we cut back to the present and this really horrifying monster comes into the, this cave... Yeah. Which is like, I just, I'd like to thank Griffin for the one-way train straight to Nopeville that this creature comes in and there's this creepy <laughs> ambient music and he's like, and the surface is undulating. I'm like, Ooh, oh, okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, good job. <laughs> that sounds great. So I was pretty excited that Aubrey, like, immediately just kind of lit it oh, up. Oh, she's on it, um, yeah. Good call. Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, because this is where I was a little bit confused when they were trying to describe the scene and, like, how the oil was spread 
Um, cause we know it's a bit of like a target. Like there's the oil in yeah. the middle and then there's a ring, a burning ring of fire, which I loved that. And I was like, I can't believe Clint didn't <laughs> pick up and start singing that. I, I was shocked. I almost did. Right. Like you're just like, oh yeah, let's, let's go. Let's all sing around and then we'll get back to business. Um, right, it's for sure playing in my head mm-hmm. then and now. Uh, but so it was a little bit confusing to me and I couldn't understand immediately where duck was positioned where everybody was positioned but then we learned that yes it's a very large out outside ring and they're mm-hmm. all within it and duck is there so so we see like the duck the, our introduction to duck in the scene is him coming out and and about to draw his weapon that we still don't know what right. it is and I, I love that griffin was just casually instinctively storyboarding this scene for us that he tells us that it's Mm -hmm. oh it's from behind and you're just seeing his silhouette which is a great way to shoot it and i'm like oh i I love that you're just just storyboarding without even realizing you're doing it It, at this point the the weapon is still a mystery we know it exists it's been hinted at since the uh the setup episode Mm -hmm. and that takes us then to duck's flashback which is he and ned going to the cryptonomica to of course have Duck take back what is his, which is still about the hottest damn thing that's happened. It is, yeah. <laughs> it was very good. Uh, the stuff that is in the chica- chicanery. Mm-hmm. Chicanery? Yeah. I'm saying that I right? I think it's chicanery, chicanery yeah. So, yes. loving the Oscar. Oh my god. And that Clint pulled that up. <laughs> and any time they can make Griffin just laugh with abandon is always the best time it's so fun to have families playing together anyway and just yeah the gig like who whose was (laughs) it what was it for (laughs) the extra information is everything here right of course and i don't know either of i don't know the movie or apparently the play Mm, right that he had referenced because he said a play but he meant the movie or like a movie they're two completely separate it was a different movie Yeah. yeah Which, okay. which Clint was not in. Mm. Okay. So I, I've never seen any of them. And neither but have I. But I am a big fan of George Clooney. I think he's a little cute. Well, and then his reasoning behind it is so genius because then, even yes, if you yes, haven't yes. seen Siriana, which it sounds like nobody on this podcast has, you can still appreciate that he wanted to steal from Danny Ocean. And Ocean's Eleven is brilliant. Everybody mm-hmm. knows of it. That's genius. And then he brought up the briefcase with Mel Evans. Do you guys know who that is? I do not. Uh I had to look it up. Okay. I looked it up, too. So he was a roadie of the Beatles and supposedly had a briefcase that contained memoirs of, like, that he was going to turn into kind of a tell-all book of the Beatles because he was with them for everything. And he loved them, but they kind of treated him bad. Mm -hmm. They treated him essentially like a servant, a little gopher. And so it's kind of like, here's everything that happened between... Their start and when they broke up. Interesting. And so that's, I think, what like the briefcase is and why like Mel Evans' briefcase. Also, supposedly rare recordings, early early Beatles recordings Mm -hmm. that were unreleased. It's that kind of stuff that really just, I don't know, all their references are so good. Even like in this case, like I don't know what that is, but somebody out there did. Yeah. Right. Like their their whole face lit up, like, oh my God, Mm -hmm. he's got it. And then. Start typing up their own fan fiction now about how Ned got that. <laughs> well, and of course, Ned Ned is the one who has the flame bright pendant, right. which I assume is what's the mysterious mm-hmm. item at the bottom of the box. It has to be. Of course, it was. Wouldn't it be funny if it wasn't? It would be. Like <laughs> it's just some costume jewelry he found. Like I don't even. I wasn't even going to put this in here. I just thought it was pretty. I like it. Picks it up at a Ren fair. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it reminded me of, and I realized that like. Griffin's only way of describing this was the way he did it because this is a an audio storytelling. But it reminded me of like, for instance, spoilers for Harry Potter, I guess. But like <laughs> when the kids are going through, oh yeah, 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 uh, Sirius Black's house, and they're just like, and there's like this toss away paragraph of the like garbage that they're finding as they're cleaning this place out, and it's things like, oh, they find this in this drawer, and da da da, an old locket, da da da, and like they don't even think about it. But then people were like, that locket is everything, uh-huh. and it was like that. A locket ended up being very important, but at the time, it was just a castaway thing. Nobody, you know, you don't even think about it. So in my mind, if it weren't such a thing that like Griffin has to let us know that like hey there's a there's a red pendant in here just to let everybody know so like if this were visual I feel like you would just kind of like see it like it would just be in the background shot mm-hmm. of a scene mm-hmm. and it wouldn't no attention would be drawn to it 
But if you noticed it, you might be like, hold on a minute. Right. Freeze frame. Circle that. Yeah. Put it on Tumblr. <laughs> Guys, I found mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Tumbo, if you're cool. <laughs> oh, can we talk about the sword? Absolutely. And try to get a good visual of this? Yeah, I, yeah the, the sword is the... <laughs> is the exact opposite situation <laughs> of this actually um, this other important thing that's thrown in a box with a bunch of junk yeah. and probably like old TV guides. These got it set up in a display case a in pillow. this room that nobody sees with like the Ikea, like dieter uh-huh. lights installed yes. <laughs> just for a dramatic effect. Absolutely. Like there's a presentation here. It was treated with great respect, which is kind of nice. And uh, as yeah. soon as like, as it's leading up to it, as soon as ne- a duck said it was annoying, I, standing there curling my hair, was like, oh, my God, please tell me it talks. And Ned <laughs> says, what, is yes, it talk? Same. And I'm like, please, oh, please. And See, and I didn't go that talks. way at all. Oh, you didn't? I just, I, was, no? I thought what it was like talk? his life with it is annoying. Like, he doesn't look mm. the way it looks or, like, carrying it is bad. I see. But then it talked. <laughs> and I was like, <gasps> and it talked. As soon as they were describing it as, like, curled up, as Ooh. if it was, I was sort of picturing it as, like, it's asleep. And then I was like, oh, is it going to talk <laughs> before he even said that it was annoying? I was very you hopeful. You were already reading the signs here. It was like it was yeah. sleeping. And yeah, him describing it as curled up, I was like, oh, well, cool. It's kind of like one of those, like, I don't know. If you've ever played the game. What is that in Soul Calibur? Soul Calibur, yes. I was going to say yeah. Ivy has, like, whip okay. swords. And that's what it made me think yeah. of. Right. I yes, need a I'm visual. I'm so glad we're all like, does anybody play Soul Calibur? <laughs> Bernie, go look up Soul Calibur. You, you know. It's a little indie game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So that's how I pictured the sword being all curled up. And then, yes, it speaks. It's similar to the majesty of the moment when we get the reveal of Geralt. We get another character from Justin <laughs> McElroy, and yeah. we're all just blessed for it, really. We are all better people for having <laughs> learned about Beacon. Mm. Griffin stepping away from his mic to just whisper Jesus Christ. Was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, that's a big mood right there, Griffin. Yeah, I feel you. Because it's so... it's. It's so organic. Like, not only is it a fantastic, hilarious mm-hmm. voice saying hilarious things, but he's he's simultaneously, like, he's carrying on this conversation with himself, oh, so switching good. between the two right. voices. And I did, wasn't even thinking about it. Like, I think I, I was immediately just listening to these two yeah, people you just buy and not it. thinking about the fact that Justin was talking mm-hmm. to himself yeah. at that point and interrupting himself. Yeah, he's very good. He is really, he is really good. And I, I think he's gotten, he's gotten mm-hmm. better. Oh, absolutely. That, that's something he should be very proud of, I, I think. I think so, too. I think he, he could really have a good future as a voice actor if that was something he wanted mm-hmm. to go into. More than he has. Yeah. So, yeah, welcome everybody to Beacon. And the thing that I thought was very interesting here was even when he does start talking, he says, it's been 20 years, which I found mm. very interesting just because it was like, that means that Ned and Duck have known each other for a very long time. Oh, yeah. 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 You know what I mean? Like, that's a, especially to have Ned be trusted to hold on to this thing, unless we get a backstory later that's like, I don't know, Duck just wanted to sell it. But that, to me, spoke a lot to their relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I hope that is the case. Like, I like that idea of them being not necessarily like they're, you know, super best friends and hang out all the time. But there's something there. Right. There's so much backstory. Duck trusted about this person. Yeah. And I like yeah, that. Yeah, there's a bond. Yeah. Yeah, very good. I, of course, I'm just, I'm very much on the surface when I'm listening to these because I'm listening and answering an email <laughs> and doing this and, you know, 12 sure. other things where I have to then backtrack. It's like, I didn't actually hear anything for the past three minutes going back, listening mm-hmm. to it again. You're like a multiple listener. You need to like listen multiple times to kind of almost like For chip away sure. at it. sure. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, I heard 20 years and I'm just like, again, doing my great math and thinking like, oh, he was probably 20 something <laughs> when he started doing this. If he's we love Brittany's math. Oh God, I'm so bad. You guys, I'm just very bad at it. I think this is good because we're covering all facets. I know Forcer and my friend listens to the show and her response was, I appreciate that Brittany is kind of the same way I feel about this, where I'm missing things. She's also kind of seeing it on the surface and you kind of speak for her where she goes, oh, I didn't even think about that. So I'm do not the even voice feel of the bad. half listeners. Yeah, there's no, <laughs> there's no, there's no wrong way to experience the story, That's though, true. I think. It's just different Absolutely. approaches. 
Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you for validating me. <laughs> That's what we're here for. We're here to just chat about it, however yes. you're listening to it. But that brings us all to We Meet Beacon. Can I just say really quick? Of course. The analogy Justin gives when Griffin asks, how do you feel? Like, how yes. does this feel? Mm-hmm. And he's like, it's when you have a backpack and it's heavy and you put it down, but it's like important to you. And so when you put it back on, like you feel better even though it's heavy i was like oh my god like that i am a backpack wearer like that's what i wear for work and i have gotten Mm -hmm. like i have when i would take my snow machine to work once i went all the way from my house to my job and got there and i was like (gasps) like i got off my snow machine it was like i have to go home i don't have my backpack i was like i'm too light like i'm moving too easily so i was like yeah take it back so like it just resonated so clearly to me how it felt when he held yeah. that sword. I loved that. Yeah, I think it, especially if you if you travel a lot, and I don't know why that's if that's what made Justin think of this or not, but it certainly was what connected for me was you know I travel and and I'm in airports all the time and multiple airports because I'm always connecting mm-hmm. and I have everything important really mm-hmm. in my backpack and. If I ever travel, I usually travel alone, but so it's with me all the time. But if I'm traveling with somebody else and they're like, oh, leave the bag here. And, you know, I walk away without it. The sense of just bizarre mm-hmm. panic yeah. of not having it. Like, I, I understand that feeling of, you know, you don't really want to have it with you because it's right. a chain. Um, but but when you don't have it, it's like, ah, something's right. not right. There's some piece of me that There's isn't wrongness here. wrongness about it. It's this, like, extension of you. Right. So that was a very interesting mm-hmm. way to describe the sword. Because nobody's like, oh, boy, I can't wait yeah. to truck this thing along with me. <laughs> let me get on this 30-pound backpack <laughs> and let's get a move in. It's like, mm-hmm. now let me put it down. But now I don't feel right. I get you, Doug. Yeah. I get you. Mm-hmm. All right. But so now we see where everybody's been. We kind of see how they've all set up for this fight. And... I don't even think we need to move beat by beat through it. It's just, it's a good fight. Yeah. And it's done in such a way where, like, we've, we're given visuals. Everybody's rolling like mad. Everybody's doing a great job. Right. Yeah. And this is the first that we get to see the real form of this monster. Yeah. That, um, Aubrey's attack sort of... She makes quick um, work of and, it. And then the subsequent is, yeah, they, they blast off this outer layer of absorbed forest creatures and we find out what he actually looks like i don't know why i was i was initially uh picturing a hellbender i don't know if you guys know what those are i don't it's a type of salamander i think they live in they may live in west virginia we had them in kentucky okay um i don't know about west virginia but but then i then it sort of morphed and became like randall from monsters inc (laughs) oh uh, yeah a little bit which is maybe (laughs) slightly less uh, but that but really scary i'm not sure that may mess up my future viewings of monsters (laughs) inc i'm not sure (laughs) right because now i'm like ooh, picture randall but like made of ooze and like his jaw is just connected by strings and he doesn't have eyeballs and they're just empty yeah, sockets. and like partially decomposed yeah that's Fucked fairly up. that's fairly frightening <laughs> way to go Anne. bringing that darkness back sorry he sounds like my current D character oh now. yeah my poor boy um <laughs> i when he lost the pelt for me again half listening that was kind of another victory for I... us was thinking, Grandma, it's me, Anastasia. And please <laughs> Anastasia. tell me, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted it to be, like, blast off. It was like, Grandma, it's me, Anastasia. And the pelt's <laughs> just on the ground now. Probably on fire, but still. That that was what played in my head. I didn't think of that, but I did think, I was like, oh, cool. We were at least partially right in the fact that it is wearing these mm-hmm. things. It wasn't, they weren't necessarily, like, an actual part of it. Right. It was yeah. just kind of a, a case. It was his armor. For them, this ooze. So creepy. So creepy. Um, but, yeah, from that point, they're all just kind of doing what they can do here. Uh, Duck, of course, is using Beacon to pierce it. Ned shoots it with his gun. And then Aubrey. Yeah, Aubrey, Aubrey was about to do a whole intro. Oh, God. Oh, right. Before so she, cute. Uh, where she shot a fireball or whatever at it. Aubrey's keeping it 100. She's like, I know what I do here. I introduce myself. <laughs> now they're going to start taking damage. So we do get damage being dealt to all of the party members. Mm-hmm. It's so good because, like, you know, he's been shrugging off kind of this role that he's this chosen one, whatever. But when it comes down to it, he's a hero whether he likes it or not and like he has to do something here he sees this monster kind of sizing up aubrey it's already hit her once he's gonna jump onto it and distract it as best he can 
which throws the ball into Ned's court. And I love that he doesn't, that whole scene of like, don't shoot <laughs> We get more classic, amazing Clint, just like off the cuff. Yes. Acting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think in real time, it would be a little hard to believe. Sure. They could have a conversation that long while Duck is, is trying to ride this monster like a bucking bronco. But I, I will, I will ter- totally take it. Um, I will suspend In the fictional my universe, because it was yeah. hilarious. Oh, it's so good. And of course, they had to make a Monster Hunter reference, which of course, Clint did not get. Of course. I like. I knew what they were talking about, but I'm like, oh, I can't. I don't have that game. I can't play that game. So I am with Clint in this moment. Like, I know what you guys are referencing, but I can't appreciate it fully. Right. But I'm so glad that all of them are like, we are Monster Hunters. This is what we do now. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think they managed a, a lot of really good teamwork in this fight. Of, yeah. You know, so they they have these options in this in this game system where, as they mentioned, if you have a really good role, that you get to choose a beneficial you get a effect. Bonus, yeah. Yeah, and that you can pick what you want it to be. So you can mm-hmm. just do more harm, you can take less harm, or you can pass a benefit to another player. Yeah. And I like that by the end of the fight that they were sort of passing these benefits mm-hmm. around yeah. the circle in the in you know the sort of shared goal because it works really well narratively right. as well that they're coming together yes. as a team and, and supporting each other too yeah so it's very improv heavy of the like yes and mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> it's like zip zap zap but with a monster in the middle <laughs> i guess well no that's actually that's a perfect analogy because even the fight itself becomes improvisational at that point like ned can't use his gun Oh, he has this stick yeah. that we had before, and so he's going to her excitement, her slash Travis's excitement. Is like, I know what I'm going to do. I know what I'm going to do. <laughs> I I imagine that as Abby, like, yeah. I know, I know this next move. I got this. And and it does. It plays right into it. Even Clint mindfully choosing to pass the benefit onto Aubrey, you could say, or onto Travis slash Aubrey. It's like Ned going, "Oh, I saw her. What she did with this this mm-hmm. walking stick before." So part of it is him being like, I can't use my gun, I have to use this. But then also kind of being like, I know she can Mm -hmm. use this to her advantage too. So it works narratively as much as it does as the the players themselves choosing these benefits. Some of that may have been, I think the game system helped too. I think it was, in fact, in these these fight situations, it was, they were able to keep it. I mean, I didn't mind in in D&D, honestly. It didn't Mm -mm. bother me to do roles or whatever. I didn't feel like, I've heard people say that they had trouble paying attention to those kinds of of scenes. I never had an issue Mm -hmm. with it, but I do think that this flowed maybe a little more organically. Yeah, certainly. Because that was what I actually thought when it came to Clint and he couldn't, And, you know, Justin slash Doc is like, please don't use your gun. It was one of those moments because in my mind I was like, well, Merle could look through his spell cards and choose something. Mm -hmm. Ned doesn't have that. So, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, well, what do you do if he's armed with the gun? If you don't have, what do you do? Right. Yeah. I'm glad that they kind of like let him have the walking stick. It was like, when did you bring it in here? You know? Like it was right. just with him. It yeah. wasn't. It was yeah. allowable. For the sake of the narrative. It would have been pedantic. Yeah. yeah. Honestly. It would have been pedantic. And and again, I think this is about, you know, this game system serving the narrative right. better mm-hmm. and making the choices that serve the narrative. And also just all of us knowing like we're not gonna drag this fight mm-hmm. out. This is this is it. Which is even shown then in this next move by Aubrey when Trav goes to make the roll and he doesn't cut it and he chooses yeah. to use one of his luck points, which we know if we hop all the way back, I think to set up is a big deal that you only get right. so much luck. But he knew, he knew that this was the moment, like, we're going to fe- defeat this thing right now. This is Aubrey's move to make. This is right. her kind of, this is not her Mary. solo win to get, yeah. but like, sh- yeah, she's the yeah. one who's going to deal this final blow here. It is so good to deal the final blow. Hell Yeah. Although it does kind of go a little sideways because it's it extremely successful, but it's almost too successful because at that point, you know, the the room is, is filling with fire and with smoke yeah. and they're all injured by this explosion mm-hmm. when the monster finally dies. And I, I really like that better dramatically mm-hmm. as a conclusion than, you know, having them all standing around and then the Final Fantasy music plays. Sure. <laughs> having It's a victory, but it's... It's a hard, a hard won victory mm-hmm. yeah. that has consequences. It's a lot more interesting. It is. And it feels more realistic for especially like this being their first 
not that this is their first fight because they kind of fought this thing earlier, but like they're inexperienced. This isn't a thing yeah. that they're all used to by now. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we had our two experienced people outside holding off the rest of the reinforcements, which I really appreciated that being like, this is why Mama and Barclay aren't here. They are holding off any more uh, additions to this monster being called into the cave here. Right. Good move, friends. Yeah, I have one one mm-hmm. question that... that that came out of this battle that I wanted to ask you guys. Did you think at any point when there was all this black slime flying everywhere, were you concerned that anybody was going to get possessed? I didn't Because it crossed think about my it. mind. It did not cross it's my just mind me. at all. I didn't think so just because he hadn't gone over any, like there were never any human parts added to it. So I didn't know if yeah. that was even mm, a possibility. Yeah. I thought they were definitely going to swallow some and be unhappy about it, but... I never even thought about it. <laughs> I kept being afraid. And you had mentioned last week, or at some point this week, you were you kind of confided us. You were like, I think Duck's about to die. And I was like, no, <laughs> I, I refuse. I object. So I guess my I shouldn't concerns have, I returned. Should... Yeah, I mean, I may have I may have underestimated the need for him to appear in a possible sequel, but yeah, I was I was definitely concerned. I mean, and it I was had a the, possibility. Mm-hmm. I mean, Justin had the same question that I did about the harm system and it being a little unclear of whether or not his harm from I'm, the previous fight right. had been healed. And, and what I told you guys was, I was pretty sure that that was then negated. That it was like you know, right. you go home, you rest, and that's that it was low enough that it didn't matter. But there was this possibility of did I count wrong? Mm-hmm. Did he not heal this? Is he going to be right on this threshold where you have this damage above four and above that gets worse unless yeah. you treat it? So, yeah. I mean, and it does, I think this game system is very much set up where that was much more of a possibility yeah. that it could go really, really south. No, agreed. And I'm, I'm glad that they addressed that head on because that was my question too. And, you know, and when you're just listening, you can't ask, but it was yeah. like, okay, Duck is now taking more harm has he recovered from the previous harm that he's taken? Which luckily, yes, it sounds like it kind of, when it's four or when it's one to three, it behaves like a long rest and healing up for mm-hmm. Dungeons and Dragons. Remind me, is it is it six? They have six harm total? I think seven. Seven? Okay, okay. it's seven total. I knew it okay. wasn't much. But after four, sure yeah. Four, right. right. And four and up is where it's like bad. Mm-hmm. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. But they all make it out. Duck doesn't die. Nobody does. We get that really great last, like, the way Griffin, of course, because he's so good at this by now, he's describing the scene as we, the audience, might see it, which is from Aubrey's point of view as she's beginning to fade out as it's presumed she's now taken that four-plus amount of harm and is Mm going to need a bit more critical care. And we just get that last kind of glimpse of Mama, like a, girl. the badass that she is. Mm. <laughs> Leaping through the flames. Girl. Can we all Fucking just... jumping in. Oh. Listen. Competent women. Competent women. <laughs> well, and, and her Man, using the it. duster, too, to kind of like. For sure. She's protected. It's not just she her running in willy-nilly, like, I gotta get my baby. Like, <laughs> she knows what she's doing. She knows that she's got to cover and not inhale the smoke yeah. and she still takes damage we know because cut to uh-huh we're in the hospital yeah cut to and again we're still kind of following aubrey here and she's fading in and out we see that duck and ned have visited her barclay's been visiting her uh, mama's initially next to her also recuperating very sweet holding her hand love it also how scary when she wakes up and mama's gone my first thought would be, oh, God, she died. Yeah. Like, her, right? her injuries are so much worse than mine. Oh, no. I like... think I was sitting there doing my makeup because that's what I was doing as I was listening to this one, hair and makeup. And I was like, oh, Mama, when she <laughs> woke up for sure and Mama wasn't there. Just stop what I'm doing. Mid-blush. And that, that's Aubrey's list of priorities, too. It's, yeah. It goes Mama, Dr. Harris, Dr. Bonkers, <laughs> Lime Jello. Oh, my God. So funny. Barclay, you gotta give me this jello. You did great. Then I need two jellos. They... <laughs> and she discovers once she's woken up that not only is Mama okay, but she's left her this this letter yeah. this really i mean a really touching letter i think um, i loved it that that kind of it's not just about concluding the storyline but i think discussing the the themes of this yeah. arc um which i mean i think you could make it a, a strong argument or the themes of balance and commitment as well this concept of um searching for a purpose in life and that your purpose might be other people mm-hmm. this this sense of found family mm-hmm. Because I, I think you know, ducks ducks struggling with his destiny, 
until it becomes about other people instead of about yeah. him. And Ned's used to putting himself first. Mm, oh, certainly. And, you know, he chooses to, to pick another priority. Yeah. Uh, so I think there's this overarching kind of theme and it, it concludes with this view we get through the chair, this really specific visual of, of Aubrey's jacket on the chair with the with the little pine guard patch mm-hmm. inside of uh, inside of her lapel that presumably mama sewed on. Yeah. After last week's episode there were so many you made that beautiful rendition of the patch. So many other people did too. So I think all of us are just yeah. talking at the bit like if nothing else, please just make that patch and just sell a whole bunch of those because all of us want one. We all want to be members of the Pine Guard, for sure. Um, but no, you're absolutely right. It's very sweet. It's this this uh, message of this is bigger than all of us and you could play a key, key role here, which I also appreciated um, her getting this letter and it saying this from Mama because Barclay had mentioned before that Mama wasn't quick to trust other people to be in the Pine Guard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's been betrayed before. Right. We find right. Out. So, like, there's more there that we don't know. I'm hoping <laughs> um, how they're doing the graphic novel for Here They Be Gerblins. I hope they do something mm-hmm. similar with this, but give us the prequel of Mama, of Au Pair. Ooh. Yeah. That would be Because there's so much there. Like, and I don't anticipate it ever being part of the show. Yeah. But I'd yeah, love Tara's tribute so... if they want to do that. Like, I could draw <laughs> that up. I'll write it. You draw it. It'll be great. Yeah. I think I think Griffin, he was also kind of opening the door to the future, I think, a little bit with this story that I, I think the way he delivers um, this reading of her letter about how she's going away for a little bit yeah. kind of sounds like it's going to be longer than a little bit yeah. dealing with whatever her unfinished business Something's is. up with Mama. Yeah. And that maybe, you know, she's kind she's of passing. finalizing her divorce. It takes time. <laughs> Maybe maybe she's kind of passing the torch here. Possibly. At least kind of giving over some control, showing an mm-hmm. extension of trust here to Aubrey, who, you know, even as Barclay says, performed so well. And just both of them being so proud and of her. she's been traveling, you know, yeah, we don't know for how Aubrey long. She's been traveling yeah. from place to place and she has no home and she's estranged from her family. And this is a community that's saying, no, you're supposed to be, right. mm-hmm. you're supposed to be here. You, which I think you is something that she's probably looking for. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and then the other members of this little family of ours. Duck and our new best friend, Beacon, who is <laughs> shoved up with the uh, coffee cups. which <laughs> Above the coffee cups. And at first I thought it was like he was hanging next to them. So like sometimes you have those yeah. hanging coffee right. cups. That's what I was hoping. Like, four coffee yeah. cups and then a sword. Mm-hmm. I like it better with him in the cabinet, like, stuffed on top of the novelty Only You Can Prevent Forest Fires mug. Oh my God. And oh, then if, yeah. if he ever gets too cranky, that, that Duck can just, just close, close the door. The door on it. <laughs> just like, that's enough out of you. But then we see Minerva again. And this time she's not glitched out. She's back to the way we've seen her. And she's very triumphant, almost that, like, yes, Duck is doing, he's... He's fulfilling his destiny He's accepted it, that this is a part of him, and he needs to, yeah, exactly what you said. Fulfill his destiny. Do what he was meant to do. Get your sword. Right, you're the chosen one. Fight those monsters. Even though his development from being afraid of doing it Mm -hmm. is now that he's afraid of being good at it. Yeah. That that that's even scarier. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, okay, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to be doing, and I'm amazing at it. And that's frightening. (laughs) Absolutely. And I totally appreciate that. And I think that anybody does. I think that's just one of those inherent things. Like, when you want something really badly, sometimes the response to starting to get that thing is fear. Because then it's like, I want this so badly. What if I'm not actually good at it? Because he he can't ignore it Mm -hmm. anymore. Yeah. What he says about that it's a door that he can't close again. Mm -hmm. You have to face it now. Yeah. That now, now there's no, there's no out. There's no, right. Uh, there's no ability to ignore it anymore. Mm-hmm. And this time, when she kind of gets cut off, Griffin takes us to her, and we see she's this real person or what have you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Duck to her is the the hologram. Right. I was not anticipating that at all. Yeah. That was such a neat turn because I thought she was just, yeah, this ethereal being that kind of yeah. floated around and followed him. Mm-hmm. But to think that, no, she's just on a different plane, totally real. And he's the ethereal being to her. It's like, that was a neat play. Yeah. And Griffin uses the word counterpart mm-hmm. instead of, you know, so maybe maybe it's not like a spirit guide kind of thing. Right. Like that it's not that simple is she's may not be the Obi-Wan in this equation, that it's 
more complicated than that, that yeah. maybe they're intended to be partners in something. Exactly. What I, I, was I have a lot of, I have a lot of questions. I'm, <laughs> oh, I'm yes. very frustrated with Griffin right now. Like, you, you left Griffin. us all of these threads dangling and it's quite upsetting. Uh, right. How dare you? <laughs> mm-hmm. There's, there's a bunch more story. Ah, uh, so much more story. But we're at the end for now. If nothing else, as much as in the dark duck is, she is very pleased with this. She feels like this is this is on the right path. Mm-hmm. And all we know is that she is also presumably in Sylvain because she's seeing this orange light that keeps showing mm-hmm. up here. And so that's where we leave Duck and apparently his counterpart, Minerva, who sounds amazing. I really have to draw her. Please do. And then we, we go to our boy, Ned, at the Cryptonomica. And he, we, he took a day off. Under the guise of having a cold. Under the guise of having a cold. <laughs> and it was, there was a funny moment of Clint mentioning the Chewbacca suit and Kirby being confused by it, naturally. Uh, but they kind of play that off. And, you know, I, I figure at this point, Kirby must be, like, used to Ned saying things that he doesn't quite get. And he just rolls with it. Like, <laughs> that's the impression I'm under. Or assuming that it's that it's probably a lie, but he doesn't really care right. enough to find like, out. Especially since the lie winds up being like, I have a fetish for Chewbacca suits, maybe. <laughs> right, maybe Kirby's like, I'm going to steer clear of that and just, you know, keep doing my thing. Which, it's very sweet, actually. Kirby was cleaning cleaning the museum while, um, while Ned was out. Such a good boy. No, Kirby seems sweet. I hope he doesn't end up being a villain. Uh, but while they're kind of talking... Uh, a girl enters, and I love that Clint immediately, like, just goes into a spiel of, like, welcoming yes. somebody to this museum. And, like, to me, like, I really wondered in that moment, I was like, does he have this prepared? Like, did he already know oh. what he was going to yeah, say to Yeah, I don't know if that person? was off the cuff. I imagine it would have Yeah, been. I think it probably was. I, he, he's very good at, um, very good. you know, you're on you're entering the theme park ride and Improv- the pre-recorded yeah. thing <laughs> is coming on. So we get that cool moment, and then this plays out so well, like a show or a movie or what have you, and like as he's saying this, another person comes in, and Kirby is kind of looking a little sly here, and he's like, we're, we're going to be fine, and naturally we learn Kirby, somewhere in the interim, Ned has given him the footage of not his time in the Chewbacca suit, but it's footage of Barclay in his, in his true form fighting a bobcat <laughs> Which, a teeny tiny bobcat but that does mean kirby has to have both when he, wait, he has to have seen ned in the chewbacca suit oh. as well as mm. barclay fighting so maybe he thinks he oh he got a better suit it's, i hadn't thought about there's that. a better suit in the trunk in- i just found hold on it's possible that that ned had time to edit to out kind of the, the bad take before he gave it to him we don't really quite know the circumstances sure, sure. so i think we can assume that maybe he was smart enough to to remove that before kirby saw the footage or it's kind of just another mystery does kirby right. know i choose to believe yeah, maybe kirby's in but on yeah, it we don't kirby know. is aware he doesn't like... know exactly what's going on but he's kind of like this this i'm gonna go with this better footage and i'll right. figure it all out later yeah i like that because i imagine it's one of those things where he's like this is better than a chewbacca costume mm-hmm. but i'm just gonna go with it right now and maybe do his thing which is like he's gonna look into this maybe on his own time or barclay looks just like chewbacca when he's in or <laughs> bigfoot form <laughs> That is another possible, like, twins. That is another possibility. That's my choice. I love it. How does this even end? What are, where are we? With does the it just people coming it's, it's just that, no, it's just the lamplighter. I say it has. That, it, a... that they look at the website and it, that he put up, he put up some of the footage. Okay. And it went viral and it said, right. you know, if you want to see the rest, you have to come to the Cryptonomica and here's here's the address and it's in Kepler. Right. Uh, then we're out. So we get so the good. address and then it's a very field Kepler, of dreams Kepler, ending. Virginia. We zoom out and there's just a line of people. Yeah, presumably just <laughs> like... Like a, a, you start, you, you pull, the camera pulls back through the door of the Cryptonomica, past all these people coming and like pulls up over the town. Yes. And that's where we get that yes. last voiceover closing Just... us out with Kepler, West Virginia. What great storytelling. Because even when, like all, all Grove did was end with the address of the Cryptonomica, but it was still so powerful. Yeah. 
And I was like, fuck, that was good. Mm-hmm. That was a good mini arc. Well done, boys. It really was. I, I think Griffin really stepped up his music game, too, and I think it yeah. made a huge difference, especially with his ending sequence. Like, that that theme is fantastic. Oh, God, it, it's so it, good. It set so much of the tone in the, in the environment for us. Mm-hmm. I think it, it helped a lot. Absolutely. I'm jazzed about Dust, which is coming next. We're going to fall in love with everybody in Dust, too. Oh, for which, sure. <laughs> when Trav made the tweet that was, like, asking about just, you know, theoretically speaking, if I was doing a campaign <laughs> that had werewolves and vampires set in the West, I was like, I immediately, I texted it to Brittany Bailey and was like, give me your immediate reaction here. I Hashtag can't even tell you how much this speaks <laughs> to me. How excited I am. Yeah. I was even, I had just painted my werewolf minifig and was working on my vampire mm-hmm. minifig. So I'm like, I, now I'm the soothsayer. Now I'm the seer that saw this. <laughs> you uh, did it. This coming. So this is how I kind of see it. Like, Amnesty was so geared toward Anne. And now I'm like, whoa. It was, yeah. And now Dust seems to be like right up Britney's alley. So like, I don't know what's coming after Dust, but fingers crossed. Got magical it's gonna girls, be... maybe. I'm, I'm super hoping N- magical robots. girls or robots. Super magical girl robots. Robots, yeah. My dream. Well, there was discussion of a space arc at some mm-hmm. point. Some space stuff. It so might. You could do magical girls in space with robots. Oh my god. That's it. That's that's the, the, the ultimate. The wacky thing for me with Dust is I have I have actually played this campaign in my oh. very limited tabletop gaming experience. One of the campaigns we did under the GURP system mm-hmm. many many years ago, we did uh, we were fighting vampires and werewolves in a in a little wild west town. Nice. Yeah, I think we accidentally burned down the town at the end of the campaign. Well. Um, <laughs> You can't so win hopefully them it goes all. better for them, but <laughs> I mean, have you seen these ding dong play before? I'm I don't know. It'll probably be worse. Bank in that going better, but <laughs> yeah, I think I'm hoping they the are the was... werewolves and vampires. That would be that would be an interesting twist. And They've been fighting monsters. Now they can become the monsters. Are the monsters? I know. Always I'm a dream. vampire. Brittany's a werewolf for sure. What? Which? Which kind would you be in? Oh, geez. I don't know. Okay. It is uh, actually... No, probably not. I've never been a huge werewolf fan. It's one okay. of the first things I ask people in general. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, are you a werewolf? Because yeah. one day I'm going to be right, and then I'll get to join a pack. And it's all I've ever wanted. Yeah. I think I'm probably I'm probably the hapless human that dies in the oh. first 15 minutes, <laughs> to be honest. You're our human friend that we keep alive. <laughs> and we're like, like, if anybody's seen what we do in the shadows, that's <laughs> That's what I was thinking of, yeah. That movie, God, it's so good. If if anybody listening to this somehow hasn't seen it, go watch it. You'll you'll be thrilled. And it'll get you ready for dust. True. Hopefully. Maybe. I don't know. We can only have fingers crossed. But I think that's gonna do it for us. I do want to call back to our question from last week where we asked what you think Duck's cat was named, and we got some responses. Hermes at Corsair Hermes said, Surely Duck's cat is called Bob? Like Bob the cat has to be, which I love. And then number one Vine Stan at Broad Gay, I think is what it is, but it's spelled with a zero, says possible name for Duck's cat is Sir Isaac, as in Newton. That's genius. Say, yeah. That's and so that was pretty yeah. Those I don't names. think I have even the better suggestions. I yeah, I'd meant to I really want to know how the cat gets on with the sword. <laughs> That's what we need to know. That's our biggest mystery here. How do Beacon and Bob or Sir Isaac Newton get along. So next week is the setup for Dust, and we're wondering if you are more of a vampire or more of a werewolf. We'll have a poll up over on Twitter at Romancing Zone. Until next week, thanks so much for listening. I'm Nell Bailey. I'm Brittany Bailey. And I'm Ann Kern. And we've been Romancing the Zone. <laughs>